No, you tell it. No, you. I'm not telling it. You should totally tell it. <laughs> well, you should tell it. No, you tell it. No, You Tell It is a series that switches up the storytelling. So each performer writes a true life tale and then, switching with a partner, performs the other person's story, giving everyone involved the chance to share their own stories and experience someone else's. Have you ever wanted to be someone else? The opening story of Coming and Going, our second team-up show with Lambda Literary, follows Calvin, or as he'd like to be known, Craig, as he travels to Florida to become someone new. This journey to overcome grief caused by a death, a breakup, and an unforgiving New York City reveals that what we seek might already be inside of us, even if we have to imagine our future with a new set of eyes once in a while. Nicole Shawan Jr. reads, Becoming Someone Else in Florida, written by Calvin S. Cato. For this, our first virtual show, we also asked each storyteller that if we, the listeners, wish to summon them directly to our room, what three items might we place in a magic circle to do so? As you will hear, a wide variety of ingredients are needed to complete the spell. So I'm going to invite Calvin into the spotlight because I want to hear and see what do we need for our Calvin spell. Hi, thank you so much. Um, so uh, like you, uh, this is very lo-fi. I just basically found three pictures online because I cannot draw and my writing is very up and down. So uh, this is uh, the three items that you would need to summon me. Um, first is a pen. Uh, sorry for the very bad Microsoft Word clip art. Um, I write a lot all the time profusely, so I definitely would need a pen. Uh, the second is chapstick, which I use way too much of. Um, and I feel like every time I put on my mask and take it off, it looks like I've kissed Jessica Rabbit, so it's a problem. And finally, a PlayStation controller because video games. I love video games and it's my way of like helping to de-stress and get away from the craziness of this world. So that's I me. love it. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Our first story tonight, Becoming Someone Else in Florida, was written by Calvin S. Cato and is going to be read for us here by Nicole Shawan Jr. All right. Becoming Someone Else in Florida. It's 2018, and on my first night in Orlando, I found myself walking into Stonewall, a huge two-level gay bar bathed in epileptic neon lights. Considering I haven't been to Orlando in 20 years, and considering 20 years ago I wasn't even out, I was surprised at my choice of venue. But tonight, I'm not going out as Calvin. I'm going out as Craig. When I planned my trip to Florida, I told myself I'm going back to my roots, but in reality, I was running away. I was tired of New York City. Actually, that's not an accurate statement. I was exhausted with New York City. Between a stalled out stand-up career and two of the wrong kinds of heartbreaks, I decided it was time to step into the shoes of somebody else and go back to where it all started. Why Florida? Primarily, it was because of a death in the family. My great aunt passed away a month ago, and she was my last living relative in Florida. Between the ages of two and four and over the summers until I was 12, I lived in Deltona, a small city 30 minutes outside Orlando, with my brother and grandparents. They all passed away in Florida, and while I attended their funerals, I never saw their gravesites. 
So I figure I'd visit the sites of my relatives, check out my childhood home, and maybe fall in love with a stranger. I'd kill three birds with one trip. The main room of the bar had five large television screens, all of which were tuned to RuPaul's Drag Race. All the men inside were wearing tight shirts and questionable tans. I drank a little bit. I danced on my own. I tipped the drag queen. I struck up some halting conversations but kept myself mysterious. I like to think I was cultivating some intrigue, but mostly nobody cared to ask deeper follow-up questions. I walked out slightly drunk and sat in my car to sober up when I received a knock on my window. Hey, how's it going, he said. I know this is the part where I give you a description, but all I remember is his cowboy hat and silver belt buckle. I lowered my window slightly. Hey, is everything okay? Yeah, everything's fine. I just came out with some air and noticed you were in your car. Yeah, I'm just trying to get myself together. Can I join you? Now, Calvin would have immediately said no. What if he carjacks you? What if he kills you? What if the seat won't lower down enough? But he didn't ask Calvin. He asked Craig. Craig wears button-down shirts and carries flavored condoms with him. Yes, flavored, because apparently Craig believes in other people's pleasure. And since Craig is new to Florida, he's trying to learn the local customs. Maybe this is how Florida gays say hello. Against my better judgment, I unlocked the door and let him in. The sex we had was quick and mechanical, like watching a movie with multiple jump cuts. We went from kissing the car to unbuckling of pants to teeth ripping a condom package open to a rough and halting union. I was able to erase the heartbreaks I dealt with before my trip, which weren't even unique. The first was a cliched, I fell for a guy I knew was trash but gave too much of myself anyway, heartbreak. The second was an, I fell for a guy who was planning to leave but I hoped he changed his mind and stayed for me, heartbreak. We finished and pulled up our pants, making minimal eye contact. Muttering a quick, thanks, he got out of the car. I sat on the driver's side feeling conflicted. As Craig, I was dazed and satisfied. As Calvin, I was worried about getting charged a cleaning fee on the rental car. The next day, I embarked on my trip to Deltona. Since I was Craig, I decided to listen to the local radio stations. I switched between the Spanish language channel and the R&B channel. I drove past my grandparents' house a medium-sized ranch-style home. I had remembered it was green, but the new owners must have repainted it as red. I thought about parking and knocking on the door, but I didn't want to cause any confusion. I noticed the neighbors sitting on their porches staring at my car, probably wondering what I was doing here. I gave the house an awkward wave and sped off to my next destination. 20 minutes later, I visited my brother's grave. The headstone bore my brother's name and his dates of birth and death. There was no beloved son or exceptional grandson. Whenever people would ask me, I'd say I was an only child. It was easier than explaining the truth that my brother died in a car accident when I was 13 and he was 20. And that before then, we rarely lived in the same state. I sat at his site and apologized for not bringing flowers. How thoughtless of me. Or maybe 
It was thoughtless of Craig. I couldn't tell. I talked about New York, about my life there, about shows and our parents. I told him that dad had died a couple of years before and I hoped they both were getting along in the afterlife. I knew my brother was resentful of my father for years because he grew up in Florida instead of with us. At the time, my parents couldn't afford to take care of my brother, so he lived with my grandparents. I moved on to lighter fanfare. I talked about the time we got into a fight over the show Power Rangers. I came out to my brother and told him I went to my first Floridian gay bar. I left out the car sex. It seemed too rude and my brother already had to deal with so much information. It's funny. I only observed people talking to their deceased loved ones in movies. I assumed this was the type of thing, I assumed this type of thing was another cliche, but I never realized how one-sided the conversation would be. One of the benefits of talking to the dead is that it's hard for them to interrupt. After expounding my heart and probably freaking out the groundskeeper, I went to a bar nearby. I got a margarita and a basket of seafood and felt resolved with myself. I was ready to cut up my credit card and start a new existence as Craig. Maybe I'll take up surfing and hug an alligator. And then I overheard the waitress at the bar say, so I caught him smoking crack on the deck again and wanted to throw him out, but I love him. And I realized I might've been idealizing Florida a bit too much. I made my way back to the hotel where I sat alone in the side bar. I ordered a tequila on the rocks and chatted with the bartender a bit before we were interrupted by a brawl that broke out. Two guys in suits rolled around on the floor throwing punches and kicks, knocking over tables and breaking glasses. It looked like those cartoon dust clouds. Security came and got them out of the bar. I helped the bartender put the tables and chairs back upright, and then I left her a $20 tip. Now I got the hint that Florida actively wanted me to leave. I finished packing and wanted to have a bit of frivolous fun, so I went on Grinder. I got a notification immediately. He was thin and tall, with light golden brown skin and a thick mustache. His screen name was Mr. Kissimmee. I invited him to my room and we stood apart from each other, sizing each other up. In your profile, you said you were an actor. Have I seen you in something before? He asked. No, oh, probably not unless you have access to cable channels higher than 100. He chuckled and sat on the bed. Then he made a padding gesture. I ambled towards him, prepared to give a Craig-like one-liner. Instead, I said, actually, I'm from New York City. I'm here because of a death in the family. Oh, and I got dumped. Who would want to dump an attractive man like you? Don't do that, I said. Don't do what? give you a compliment, you know people are allowed to be nice to you, right? Despite myself, my eyes welled up. My Craig persona crumbled. He asked me to come closer and held me, and the touch was gentle and warm and wanted. I murmured something about how I have a flight to catch the next morning. How about I be your boyfriend for the night? I have to be up at 5 a.m. for work, so you don't have to worry about me overstaying my welcome. That's sweet of you. I took off my clothes. So are we going to? We don't have to have sex if you aren't comfortable. I can leave, or we can talk, or we can lay together. You choose what you want. We got naked and cuddled together, chatting for a while. 
his words pressed against my shoulder before we eventually fell asleep. A little before 5 a.m., I was nudged awake. I hope you'll keep in touch, but I won't be hurt if you don't, he said. I didn't keep in touch with Mr. Kissimmee. I wasn't the best Craig, but I came back to New York City hoping to be a better Calvin. Thank you. Switching it up, our next story takes us on a trip to the West Coast where two lovers seek comfort in each other's sanitized arms during the COVID-19 pandemic. With the backdrop of 2020's chaotic energy, the two women must navigate their coping mechanisms, fears, and ultimately their love for each other in order to confront their futures, together or on their own. Nicole Shawan Jr.'s timely story, Finding Our Way Back Home, is read for us here by Calvin S. Cato. We're going to ask Nicole back into the spotlight because she's the author switching it up of our second story tonight. And I'm very excited to see what, uh, what magic items I need to, to put into the Nicole brood. All right. So I also am not the best um, drawer, but I came up with a few things to put into my circle. So up here, we have me um, squatting under a bar with some heavy weights. I love powerlifting and strongman training. I go to um, a strongman gym in Brooklyn. Um, and so that's like something that you'll definitely need. Yeah, and the hair is like my crown and takes up most of that picture. Um, I also got a boom box. You need music to summon me, preferably hip hop or R&B. That's my jam. And down here, I tried to draw some door knocker earrings. As a matter of fact, the ones I'm wearing now that say my name in the center. Um, yeah, I need a girl with extensions in her hair. Bamboo earrings, at least three pair, right? So <laughs> these, <laughs> uh, to cite um, LL Cool J, but these are the things that I would need. I love it. And I love that you can't even be contained by the circle. Like that hair is just like coming out. And uh, that deep like cook squat that you're in with the with the weights. Thank you so much. Switching it up, our second story this evening is Finding Our Way Back Home, written by Nicole Shawan Jr. and read for us by Calvin S. Cato. Finding Our Way Back Home. I deboarded a desolate flight from JFK and touched ground at LAX. Although the pandemic just began its swell in New York's five boroughs, and Los Angeles County had been put on lockdown, I followed through with plans to spend a couple of months with Chanel. The summer before my latest arrival, I met Chanel at a retreat for queer writers where, one evening after workshopping, we found ourselves at a West Hollywood bar. I sipped on a watery cocktail when Chanel tapped my shoulder and invited me to join her outside. As the rest of our crew, 60 or so queer poets and writers, crooned karaoke outside on the, on the patio, Chanel rubbed my leg and told me about her father's recent death. I told her about my criminal record. We laughed at our shared awkwardness and grinned at one another during silent moments. Ultimately, that shoulder tap turned into a kiss and then a relationship. In the seven months that we were together, Chanel and I saw each other every four weeks, once in DC, another time in New Orleans, but most often at our homes on opposing coasts. Just a couple of months before COVID-19 hit the national news, when Chanel was in Brooklyn for a visit, 
we decided on the date for my next trip to LA. Chanel pulled up to the airport in her compact SUV. Gloved and armed with Purell, she hopped out of the passenger seat and helped me load my oversized luggage into her trunk. Once we both plopped inside her car, gloves already discarded in a nearby trash bin, we squirted pumps from the hand sanitizer bottle into our palms. She then put the gear in drive and rolled us off towards her Santa Monica studio. Touch starved from having not been embraced or kissed for just over a month, I stared at her fingers as they fisted the wheel, narrowed my eyes on her fleshy thighs, clenched my own thighs tight. Although in the week leading up to my cross-country excursion, we agreed to abstain from hugging and kissing one another until we were at her place, my clothes in her washing machine, my body fully showered, desire consumed me from limbs to lungs. At Chanel's, when my luggage swallowed a corner of her narrow apartment and my plate-soaked clothes tumbled within her washer, we finally embraced. Although I expected a full-mouth passionate kiss, what I received were scant pecks on my lip and cheek. The fuck, I thought, but said nothing. Days and nights drove by, yet Chanel's passion for me didn't seem to ignite. Finally, while in bed, yet at arm's length, I steered the conversation to the distance consuming us. I need more affection from you, I stirred. Chanel's eyes dashed from the Netflix show we watched, zooming in on my own. Come here, plumed past her lips as she held her arms open wide. I nestled into her embrace, gratified by her touch and optimistic of the days to come. Things didn't go as planned. I think I have a wall up, Chanel urged after I pressed her about her continued lack of shared affection since my arrival four days before. For what, I bade. I just don't think I'm over that argument we had on Sunday. In the week before I arrived, Chanel's anxiety occupied our relationship. My daily trips to the gym caused a minor argument to explode, infecting every conversation we had up to the night before my JFK departure. To Chanel, I was unreasonably exposing myself to risk of infection. To me, working out at the gym provided a way to manage my own fear of the unknown. Barbell therapy kept my own COVID-induced anxiety sheltered in. I need time to process what I'm feeling, she said. I heard, I don't know if I can be with you or if I'm still in love. Does that wall mean you don't love me, I asked, my heart sick with worry. I just need time, was all she remarked. But time was obscured now that we were amidst the global health pandemic, now that I left my 60 plus year old parents and 98 year old grandmother back in Bed-Stuy, now that I risked my own health and theirs by boarding that life-threatening Delta flight. The following days were fraught with angst that showed up in our bitter bickering, my explosive accusations, her slippery responses. Unhinged, I picked up my cell phone and dialed my cousin Jelani's number. Although Jelani lived back in Brooklyn with his wife and kids, he owned a Hollywood Hills bungalow that I sometimes stayed in during trips to LA before Chanel and I fell in love. Chanel gripped the steering wheel and stared straight ahead as she drove us away from Santa Monica and headed northeast to Hollywood. I set my eyes on the rolling streets beyond the passenger, <clears throat> excuse me. I set my eyes on the rolling streets beyond the passenger window, Purell buried in my hoodie's pocket 
and headphones covering my ears. Much like the drive from the airport, the ride to the hills was devoid of any intimacy. Unlike that drive, panic had occupied my once confident shell. Chanel tried to talk to me. I responded with silence, ignoring her inquiries, only to speak when I spotted a liquor store. You mind pulling over, I asked. As Chanel waited in her car, I bought a pack of American Spirits, the first cigarette pack I copped since I quit three months before. Heading out of the store with that light blue box packed into my palm, I thought, real smart, Nicole, taking up smoking during a respiratory virus pandemic. The danger of it all was acutely apparent, but without a plan or a bar on my back, I needed some kind of release. Chanel pulled up to the stretch of curb that lined the front of Jelani's empty bungalow. The tires hadn't stopped spinning before I hopped out, unloaded my luggage, and dragged it past the browning plants that laced the yard. I feel like this is the last time I'm going to see you. Chanel called out at my back as I plugged the code into the oak door's metal keypad. I glanced over my shoulder and spotted the worry lines etched across her brow. Is it? She implored. I pulled back my headphones and huffed, yeah, I think it is. With my luggage behind me, I entered the house and slammed the door shut, quick enough for her to not see the tears welling in my eyes. From behind dusty shutters, I watched Chanel wipe tears of her own. I hoped she'd come knocking at the door. I hoped that she'd say she was wrong and that of course she was still in love. But when her engine zoomed and her car rolled down the hill, the uneasiness birthed by the pandemic Chanel's anxiety, and our frosty week unleashed. My breath cut short. My heart palpitated. My legs quivered liquid capsule quick until I dropped to the floor and bawled. Worry worked its way across my skin. What to do next? How could I keep safe during a global pandemic in a city where I had no resources? Should I risk flying back home to mama and grandma? But more than anything else, I wondered if Chanel and I were salvageable. I questioned how a love that felt so full and unbreakable just a week before could end up being so fickle and thin. Maybe it was 20 minutes or maybe it was more, but I wept on the floor until a dust and dew sneeze interrupted my heartbreak, reminding me of the perilous moment I was in. Shit, I didn't wash my hands. I chastised myself before my legs smoked the floor landing me at the kitchen sink. What were you feeling when Chanel said that, Nicole? Danae, the couple's therapist we hired a few days after my Santa Monica split, rasped across virtual space as I sat at my laptop, staring at her and Chanel in their quarantined video boxes. I thought about refusing to answer the question, denying Chanel the satisfaction of my pain, but Danae's soft stare refused to abate. I felt like she was abandoning me, I said, as tears flowed beyond my eyelids. Did you tell her that? No. Chanel, were you abandoning, Chanel, were you abandoning Nicole when you said that? Not at all. I just needed time to understand what I was feeling. Do you hear her, Nicole? Our therapist pressed. Yes, I snot no sobbed. Chanel, how did you feel when Nicole left? I felt abandoned too. 
Like she wasn't hearing me. Like she didn't have my back. Chanel wept silently. You two have to remember that we're in a global pandemic, the likes of which none of us have ever seen. Everything has been turned upside down. All our anxieties are surfacing. Really, think about it. It's like a beach ball. You may hold it underwater as long as you can, but if someone snatches your hands away, it's gonna buoy right back up. There's no containing it. Here, anxiety is the ball. COVID has snatched your hands. Your angst has no option but to explode. Do you get that? Smacked by this insight, my tears began to slack. What was the story you told yourself about Chanel's lack of affection, Nicole? I pressed the shredded Kleenex balled within my fingers to my face and stuttered. The story that I told myself was that you weren't in love with me anymore. Babe, she replied through sobs of her own. I couldn't be more in love with you. I'm worried about you getting sick, about me getting sick. I'm terrified for my mother. You know she's alone. I'm just processing a lot. It was a chilly end of summer morning, hours before the sun was set to rise, when I stood on the curb outside of Chanel's Santa Monica apartment. The lift app indicated that the ride was a mere few minutes away, that it would take about 20 minutes to get to LAX. Chanel rounded the corner, having just dropped our trash into the outdoor receptacle. With all chores completed, we were ready for our cross-country trip. We flew JetBlue because it was one of the airlines that promised an empty seat in each row. That meant that we wouldn't have to worry about at least a third of the flight's capacity. Armored with masks, we mopped our seats, trays, and window with disinfectant wipes. We tossed the used towels into a plastic bag and soaked our hands in Purell. Once our row was clean to our satisfaction, we took our seats, me next to the window, and Chanel closest to the aisle. Between passing out snacks passed in Ziploc bags and collecting trash, an all-Black flight attendant crew patrolled the aisles, ensuring that every last one of the mainly white passengers had masks properly placed over their mouths and noses. I shot Chanel a glance that said, yep, we're on the right flight. Chanel gave me a mask-to-mask -mask kiss before squeezing my hand in affirmation. As I brought her knuckles to my covered mouth, the ring that spiraled around her right hand's fourth finger grazed my chin. We're going through a global health pandemic. Of course you're feeling anxiety. Danae reminded us time and time again over the course of our six months we spent in therapy. Of course there are things to process, Chanel. Of course uncertainty makes you want to run, Nicole. Remember, it's anxiety you need to combat, not each other. Almost seven hours after we boarded our flight, we landed at my Brooklyn home. Before our taxi pulled up to the beige brownstone I shared with my mother and grandmother, my mother sat on the stoop to await our arrival. Congratulations, she yelled through her mask from the top step. Welcome home. Although I couldn't embrace her or even get close, Chanel and I still had to quarantine for two weeks. I couldn't help but to notice how my shoulders rolled back from my ears, how my jaw unclenched, how my spine relaxed. Mama was safe. Chanel was safe, and so was I. In two weeks, we'd spend time with my mother. After that, we'd drive to Maryland to spend time with Chanel's. We had been engaged for just under two months, pulled through the roughest patch of our relationship, 
and we're continuing to survive the pandemic together with intimacy and joy. Both Chanel and I finally found our way back home. Thank you. That's it. Thanks for joining us for this installment of No, You Tell It. Visit us on the web at knowyoutellit.com. <laughs>